Welcome to the Anxiety Coaches Podcast, a relaxing and informative show where we explore anxiety, panic, and PTSD, sharing how you can overcome them for life. Aloha, welcome back to the Anxiety Coaches Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Gina Ryan, and I'm so happy to be with you again today as we consider the many ways to bring your mind and body back to its natural peace and calm. We offer a number of ways to help you with your journey, so I hope you're taking advantage of everything that we offer. You can subscribe to this twice-a-week podcast. You can join our free Facebook group. And if you sign up for our newsletter, you'll get more from me and advance notice of things that are coming up. Go to anxietycoachespodcast.com and check all that out. Today I have a wonderful guest and we'll be talking to Jamal Yogis in a few moments. But before I get to that, I just want to remind everyone that we are so happy for all of the love that you're sending us by donating to the podcast and by being a patron on Patreon and sending your beautiful letters and emails to us. Thank you so much to everyone. I just wanted to give a big shout out to everyone and let you know how much we appreciate you. Okay, and now on to the show. I want to tell you a little bit about Jamal Yogis. He's the author of Salt Water Buddha, a coming-of-age memoir that was made into a feature documentary, The Fear Project, What Our Most Primal Emotion Taught Me About Survival, Success, Surfing, and Love, which was featured on Oprah, The Wall Street Journal, and Outside. His new book, All Our Waves Are Water, Stumbling Toward Enlightenment and the Perfect Ride, is being released by Harper Wave in July and is available for pre-order. He lives in San Francisco, and you can find him online at Jamal yogas.com slash all our waves and I will have that in the show notes for you so you can find him easily. Welcome to the show Jamal. I'm so glad to have you here. Oh it's so nice to be here Gina. Thank you. I think it's really super cool that we are together everyone because you know I get to meet all kinds of amazing people by people reaching out to be on the show or me reaching out to have new authors or experts on the show. And it turns out that Jamal has actually spent a good amount of time on my tiny little island here on Maui and uh, the same little town where probably everyone on Maui shops in Paia. And so it's really a treat to have him here and have him share his amazing wisdom that has come from his own journey. So, Jamal, why don't you fill my listeners in a little bit just on how you got going to be an author and to be uh, finding this path that you are on. Well, thank you, Gina, and thank you for doing this show. I am a big fan, and it it helps so many people, and it's it's just uh, such an important topic for our world right now. I got into being an author kind of by surprise. I was one of those people who wanted to do a little of everything. Um, you know, 
anthropologist one day, you know, race car driver the next. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I uh, was going, you know, for example, actually, I, I went to the University of Hawaii and I entered as a marine biology major and I came out as a philosophy and religion major. <laughs> and <laughs> I uh, was thinking, you know, what am I going to do with all these interests? And I landed on journalism. There was a a program back in uh, where you're from in New York, um, a graduate program, and I started doing journalism. And uh, I've always been, uh, or not always, I'm also a passionate surfer. And um, when I got out of school, I was doing the usual, you know, political, environmental type journalism stories. And I wrote a piece about surfing and how surfing is... uh, really a type of meditation for me, a way of, you know, lowering my own anxiety and getting back to the present moment. And I expected this piece to be the least popular journalism piece I ever wrote. I was really only writing it um, because I was between jobs and I thought, well, this will be a fun thing to write. And it it ended up buzzing around the web and getting a lot of traffic and being republished. And um, sure enough, a publisher reached out to me let me backtrack, actually, like the third or fourth time it was republished, uh, a magazine said, do you want anything in your bio? We can't pay you for the republication. And I said, well, maybe say I'm writing a book about this. <laughs> <laughs> about <laughs> Because by this time, I thought this struck a nerve and it's fun to write about. Um, and it was about, uh, say, I'm writing a book about Zen and surfing. And um and a publisher reached out and said, we'd like to publish that book. And, uh, and so, you know, then I had to write it. <laughs> right. And, um, and uh, you know, I learned that uh, I liked doing this long form uh, as well as short form writing. And, and one thing led to another. And here I am. I love the fact that you took the leap. There was no safety net, no having had the experience of writing a book before. You just said, oh, yeah, and here's when the book will be out. So um, because now we're talking about your first book, this one that's coming out in July is your second book, correct? The one that's coming out in July is my third. Third. Third, because there's Saltwater Buddha. The Fear Project is my second, which oh, is Oh, that all was about second, yeah. Science of Fear and Courage and um and then this one is my second memoir really um it's the kind of follow up to saltwater buddha um uh, done more in a storytelling format about my travels and um and struggles etc well it's really exciting for me because you um relate so much to the water and obviously as a surfer but a lot of people who don't even Um, have that intimate of a relationship with the waves have we all look at water as like you and I were talking even before the recording started we were talking about how water can uh, almost take us into trance it can bring us so much peace and uh, feelings of reflection so I was hoping we could just talk about a few things and maybe you could keep us uh, give us your ideas about how the water can help. One of the things that you you have said in the past in an article that you wrote was, the struggle is the joy. And I so loved that. Could you reflect a little bit on that? Yeah, what I meant by that is, um, you know, as surfers, uh, 
most surfers would know this, that you don't actually spend very much time of a surf session actually surfing. And when you don't surf, you mostly see these guys, you know, shredding around on these beautiful waves. You see them in the tube. You think, God, that looks so fun and peaceful. Um, But probably one or two percent of a two hour surf session is actually spent on a wave. The rest, you're paddling. And if you live in an area like I do, San Francisco, um, you have to paddle through, often through, you know, barricades of water to even get to a point where you can catch a wave. That might take 30, 40 minutes. And so you have to get out there. And yet, if you love surfing, one of the things that happens is that challenge of getting out there to this place where you're going to get this moment of fleeting joy is you start to fall in love with that challenge, that that struggle as well. And this has hit me over the years that if I can embrace my shoulders burning, (laughs) you know, uh, chest heaving, sometimes feeling nauseous from, you know, uh, the amount of energy I'm exerting to get out there. If I can fall in love with that, I can also fall in love with the struggles that I face on land, you know, be they in work or relationships or, um, just the struggles in my own mind. Um, and so I've tried to translate that into, um, a sort of mantra, uh, for, any obstacle that I'm facing, um, be it, you know, fear or financial, um, just to say, Hey, you know, I really do. There may only be one or 2% of life. That is, are those moments up on the Hill, you know, with your family (laughs) having a, you know, toasting a celebration or, or going to a wedding, you know, those are the, those are the, the beautiful waves, but, the struggle to get to those moments is part of it. It's all part of it. And I think um, my journey um, that I've written about is really, I think, telling stories about that, about the funny moments when we're really struggling, um, you know, reflecting back often and saying, you know, this was a moment I was really struggling. But if I look at the meta perspective of where it got me or where I can look back and laugh and, and surfing is a little microcosm of that. And um, so I love it for that reason. And I think it has really, it really serves you. Um, I think that's why I think surfers and anybody who has any of that, there are other activities that can do the same thing. But when people don't, when you don't have that, you, you don't have the microcosm. Uh, you can't always relate. Um, so what I deal with is here is with um, many of us that have either struggled with or are struggling now with that uh, life on land, as you would say, where we have all of the struggle to deal with. And it's keeping in mind that the struggle is the joy, that it this is how you get to those. It's kind of like meditation. It isn't like you sit down and each meditation is blissful. Most people who have been meditating for even a week know that, that each meditation is different. And so how 
can you help? How would you help uh, people who maybe haven't had the experience of being on the wave and knowing that there's that beautiful joy that's possible, that 1% time? How could you relate that to people who don't have that experience and kind of keep them motivated to keep going in life and to actually make the shift of seeing the struggle as not really the problem? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, well, yeah, you don't have to be a surfer to get this. And we've all been there, whether you're um, a runner or a, um, you know, or raising your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, there are so many moments. I have three kids under three boys under six right now. So it's <laughs> often a um i mean just a nightmare like you you know there's the the sick five-year-olds trying to put the baby in the toilet and you know thinks that's funny and the, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're we're uh, trying to get out the door to our meetings and it's a struggle but there are um you know i wouldn't trade it in for anything in the world and when you with your kids because i think you because you love them so much, mm-hmm. you're willing to make that sacrifice um, of having your, you know, your leisure time or what have you. And it's the love there that is the key. And I think we have to allow those for more love, I think, in our lives. Um, and surfing is that one thing that I love so much where I can see that struggle is the joy and family is another place. But if you've experienced it in one place of the struggle being the joy, then you can bring that to the places where it's not always as intuitive. Um, and you're exactly right. It, it, um, meditation is the place where, um, that embracing of struggle can happen we all know that you know if we've tried meditation that it is difficult in the beginning you sit down and it's very hard to sit still your thoughts are not calm um you know they're racing this way and that it's very hard to focus but instead of running away from that and distracting yourself you stick with it and you breathe into it and you watch it and you decide well i don't need to i identify necessarily with this i'm I'm using my meditation my mindfulness technique um so what if i just sit with it and be with it and then sometimes you know the sensation of discomfort as you sit with it it starts to change um or oftentimes you know i know in meditation we're not striving for a blissful state but just the embracing of, oh, I don't necessarily need to label this fear or anxiety or discomfort as a negative. What if I just experience it as sensation? Then that moment where you embrace instead of run or turn away, I think is the crucial uh, mindset to experiencing uh, the link between struggle and joy. Um, that's my experience anyhow. I hope that makes a little sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, uh, there's so much there and 
we all do have, I bet everyone can relate to an experience that they've had, that they've been able to get through that was extremely, that's difficult, it's hard, it's hard. and then to be able to get to the other side and have that 1% moment. And I think one of the greatest things that you're pointing out here, um, looking back over what you've said for the last few minutes, is that when we have the mindset that every moment is not going to be that top of the mountain toasting with champagne moment in our lives. It isn't always catching the wave. It is that there is so much more to life and that that all gets us to the joy. So it actually really is, as you say, the jo- the struggle is the joy. And so when we get that wave, how about this idea of celebrating where we get to uh, a moment where we get come out of our meditation, the bell rings and we're like, whoa, that was fabulous. Or you have a, you know, a wonderful moment at work. I mean, there's a million examples. But what I find, um, Jamal, is that many people don't take the time to actually enjoy those moments, to celebrate them. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I think um, it's unfortunately maybe how we're evolutionarily wired, I think, to emphasize uh, the negative um, because it was a survival tool, right, throughout history is, you know, if you don't emphasize the dangers, um, you know, the sticks, as you might say, instead of the carrots, you Mm -hmm. might have not survived in the tribe. Um, Whereas, you know, emphasizing the joys it's it's not necessarily a survival tool but it is a happiness tool and so i think we need to retrain ourselves to emphasize and to to turbocharge the good um if you will and because a lot of times you're struggling 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 to get that wave and then you get it and you're like okay what's the next thing you're already on to what's the better wave? okay that was decent you know what's um instead of taking a moment to be like, wow, this, I've got, (laughs) this is, look at, look around me here. There's, you know, I'm out, I'm outside in this beautiful environment. Um, I might not be, you know, surfing like Kelly Slater, but that was a fun ride. And to celebrate that is important. I mean, one, the science shows this, that every time we um, celebrate a, a, a good moment, the more we, you know, can hoot or, you know, shake our butt, do a little jig. Mm-hmm. When something good happens, you're actually um, forming new synaptic connections that sort of allow you to experience more joy and more presence. So you're kind of retraining yourself to, like, be a be a larger container for joy is the way I like to think about it. And um, because so often, you know, we want to jump to the, well, that was nice, but what's next? Or um, or our minds want to reroute to uh, to a, st- uh, a negative story or a story of jealousy or, you know, well, that was pretty good, but it's not as good as how Mark has it, you know? Right. <laughs> it's not, not as good as the, as the neighbors or whatever. And that steals away the simplicity and the, the basic goodness of something, um, of something good happening. So I, uh, I think as I go through my day, I, I, I try to do this as a, as a mindfulness practice, just 
take one simple thing that I'm grateful for and, um, and kind of turbocharge it, just, you know, shine the spotlight on that and kind of breathe with that, um, gratitude. And it's like one drop of gratitude, it seems to, to multiply. And so if you can sort of put a drop in the bucket every day. It's like after 10 drops, it seems like you have a hundred drops. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, so this is, you know, it's an important thing to do in surfing, but it's, you know, an important thing to do, uh, in, in, in all walks of life, I think. It, and it actually speaks to us actually living in the moment because if you're living in the moment and difficult things are happening, you're there with them. I think it's John Kabat-Zinn would call it the full catastrophe, right? Um, <laughs> that, you know, we're there with all of it. We can hold all of this, the challenges and the joys. And I think when we can celebrate the joys, like you say, then we can be grateful for them and that just colors the water. It's it's makes our whole life look different. And it's very important. And especially you have to do this very consciously when you're starting, because like you said, we're not really wired this way for survival. But if you want to have a happy life, you have to kind of try to practice these things and then they become part of you. I will say I, I truly believe they become a part of you. So you know, let's let's look at maybe the question of how can how can you suggest through your experiences that people not give up and and actually keep motivated, keep moving through these challenging times and reminding themselves to celebrate the joys. There's so many ways uh, that to stay motivated, you know, out there, and and one is I think community. Um, and, and listening to shows like this, hearing stories of other struggles that other people went through and then seeing how they came out on the other side. So talking about it is important. Um, but also, you know, framing uh, hardship, I think, is important. Um, and, and expectation is extremely important. What you were referring to, Gina, about, um, you know, not expecting life to always be at the top of the mountain is like... Uh, now, I always like when uh, in Barack Obama's speeches how he always makes a point of saying, this is not going to be easy. Right when you're feeling great, you know, he's giving <laughs> like top of the mountain speech <laughs> about, uh, you know, whatever you think of his politics, he's a great speaker. And uh, just when you're feeling like, yes, we've made it unity, you know, love, he, he always comes back and says, this is going to be a struggle. Mm -hmm. This is going to be every single person is going to have to contribute. And it's bringing, um, bringing back our expectations to like, well, you know, I'm not going to necessarily be at the top of the mountain every second of the day, but where, uh, let's, you know, taking a, a look at the arc of time and the struggles that you've been through before and where those struggles brought you, I think can help frame the struggles of today. And I often think back to, uh, also the fact that what if I hadn't had these struggles? I mean, the, the, uh, the fears and the jealousy or the difficult emotions, those are what brought me personally to um, what I do, to writing, to meditation, 
to being a lover of the outdoors. And if we didn't have those uh, struggles, we often wouldn't have connected with our passions and the things that bring us great joy. And the, and, and they're tools, those are often tools that we use to help other people when they're in the midst of struggle. So um, the struggles are our teachers. And, um, you know, we don't, a lot of us go around, have gone around looking for, you know, the ultimate cure or the ultimate teacher, but we have teachers every day and they are our, <laughs> our fears, our anxieties, our struggles. And they're teachers because when you break through them, you discover more of who you are and more of your power. Um, you discover that, oh, those, that, that fear, it really was in my own mind. I was the one generating that story. And I was also the one who was able to see that I was creating that story and let it go. That's a big thing to be able to do that. And, and I think people don't give themselves enough credit again, when they're actually able to break through them, even when it's just the first one that you've broken through. And then again, and I, think they should hold on to those and keep those in your back pocket to keep you going for when the bigger challenges come. Just knowing that I had a story in my head once and it didn't really all turn out that way. And those fears that I had, even though they may have even been the story. So here's what we're doing, making a story in our head. It's scaring us half to death, but it ends up leading us to something greater and something bigger, because I know that your whole life now is probably uh, amazing to look at in comparison when you look back at where you came from. Like I tell everybody, turn around on that surfboard and look at the shore. When you look back at the shore, do you see how far you've come, Jamal? Well, it's hard to do, Gina, because you, like I said, our our our, our minds are built for being a little bit nervous and a little dissatisfied again, because that was what helped us survive in the wild, you know, being a little uneasy about, you know, fitting in, um, getting the tribe support, uh, cause that was what helped us, you know, when we were wandering through the Serengeti. Um, but you have to remember to look back and I often, I think being a memoirist, um, it is helpful. And I, I encourage people to journal for this reason. Um, you know, whenever I'm say comparing myself to others, which is such a, a, um, you know, that's the root of so many of the stories we, we tell ourselves that get us into anxiety or like, you know, uh, especially with social media and stuff these days, it's like, we start comparing ourselves to all of our friends. Um, and, um, and it's easy to always, there's always going to be someone who's doing a little better. You know, even if you're, <laughs> you know, Stephen Curry, it's like, maybe you're looking at LeBron James's stats from last week. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's, there's always somebody who's a little bit ahead and it's easy, um, no matter how good it gets to always be reframing that way. And what's helpful is looking back. I, I like to look at back when I just decided to become a journalist and, I remember feeling like I'll never get there. I'll, you know, I'll never get that first story published. And, and the amount of anxiety that went into the trial and error and the rejections. And then you do, you get that, you know, after all the rejections, after all the self-doubt, you get that one story printed in mine. 
first one was in a little weekly in out of Vallejo, California. Um, <laughs> that um, and I just remember the the sheer joy in that. But I never would have, um, in my moments of doubt, believed that I would be, you know, fifteen years, twenty years later, doing a third book. But I can just as easily get into a mindset of, well, it's not good enough. You know, well, it wasn't as great of a seller as, you know, I would have liked. And that comparing mindset is something you have to, A, just realize when you're doing it. And then B, say, I know that is not a a true story, you know, because it's, it's, it's one that doesn't isn't looking balanced in a balanced way at the good you have accomplished. And um, so, yeah, it, it helps, I think, to take that arc of time and say, I remember when I thought this wasn't possible and all the obstacles I had to get to get here. And, um, and as much as I need to motivate to still work hard, um, I also want to appreciate, you know, where, how far I've come and celebrate that. And we also get to celebrate your comings so far because you have these wonderful books for everyone to read. And I want to mention again your third book that is coming out in July, which is All Our Waves Are Water, Stumbling Toward Enlightenment and the Perfect Ride. And before we let you go, Jamal, I'm wondering if you have just a a short kind of tip or reminder or something for the person out there really struggling with their anxiety and just a wise word for them to keep going today. I mean, there's so many that I'd love to talk with you for hours, but I'm really, um, I think because I'm on my getting ready for my book tour right now, I have this in mind that any focus you put into trying to be cool or trying to be accepted that external validation that we all seek it really leads to more storytelling more negativity so to just put a stop sign every time you find yourself doing that every time you get into the comparing mindset the trying for external validation mindset just put a stop sign and turn back towards self-acceptance because I really believe that the more we accept ourselves as we are, that that is the key to real happiness. And even if you're only able to turn it around for a second and sit and, you know, one breath to accept yourself for that moment, that's a drop in the real happiness bucket. And it's gonna pay off. It's going to pay dividends. And so my homework for myself with anxiety and what I also teach to, to my friends and, and, and at my meditation retreats is to just, when you catch yourself in the comparing mindset, don't beat yourself up about it, but just notice it, put a stop sign and see if you can't turn back to accepting yourself as you are today. Um, because self-acceptance, I think it, it, it's, there's so much there that leads to lasting, unshakable contentment. And um, so, you know, that's what I'm working on and what I recommend. (laughs) Thank you. Those are wise words indeed. Tell my listeners one more time where they can find you online. 
I'm on all most of the social media sites, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and I also have a website, jamalyogas.com. And that will be in the show notes for anyone. I'm going to spell it just in case they don't go to the show notes. That is J-A-I-M-A-L-Y-O-G-I-S dot com. And if you don't remember, just check the show notes. Jamal, it has been my pleasure and such a treat to be able to spend a few minutes with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Gina. It's a real pleasure. I'll be back in a few more days with another podcast. Until then, be well and aloha. Thanks so much for joining us for today's episode of the Anxiety Coaches Podcast. Find more information at theanxietycoachespodcast.com. 